we have begun uh, last week uh, a series that will take us through eight weeks where together we're looking at what we have identified as the four core values of our church or what we want to be the four core values of our church and what we want you to hold as four core values in your own life. Uh, and so really what we're doing over these weeks is we are seeking to answer the question that if you looked at a devoted follower of Jesus, what are those core traits? What are those core characteristics that we would expect to see of someone who is a disciple of Jesus? And so we have identified these four core values here in the life of our church, wholehearted worship, authentic community, passionate service, and courageous witness. Over these weeks, one by one, we're going to be unpacking these and taking two, two Sundays for each of them, the first of which will be kind of just talking on a, on a bigger, broader level about, uh, that, um, about that value, and then a follow-up sermon, kind of just understanding what does it look like to actually practice that, to live that out in our lives. And so if you were here last week, we talked about worship. We talked about how it all begins with worship. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, Paul, he gives us in this one chapter probably the best summary of the shape of a disciple's life that we have in the Scriptures. And he begins by talking about worship uh, in, in the very first verse of Romans 12, which we looked at last week. He said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship is true worship, is not partial worship. True worship is not just giving some things to God and holding some things in your own control. True worship is offering your bodies, which means your whole self, every single part of you, offering that to God for His glory, for His purposes. Um, and so this is where everything else stems from. Everything else we're going to talk about flows from worship. Jesus being at the center of our lives. And so last week, kind of the big idea was that everything is worship. Worship isn't just what you're doing now. Worship is what you do tomorrow morning when you wake up. When you go to school, when you go to work, all of life is worship because everything you do, everything you say, everything you think has the possibility of expressing the superior worth that you find in God. Did you know that? Everything you do, everything you say, everything you think is pregnant with the possibility. I, th I don't think that's my quote. I never would have used the word pregnant in that context. I must have read that somewhere. Every word, every thought, every act is pregnant with the possibility of showing that your highest treasure is Jesus. That you find your ultimate joy, your ultimate identity, your ultimate significance, your ultimate security in nothing else and in no one else but in God. And that is worship. Everything is spiritual all the time. So worship is not something we do, it's everything we do. What does it actually look like in practice? You know, there's a verse that I've kind of adopted as my life for some of us parents when we have children and dedicate them on the stage. And some of you have done that. You've chosen a verse for them, which is a life verse. And maybe 
your child will take that and that will be meaningful to them. But at some point in my younger teenage years, I, I read this verse and I kind of adopted this. I wanted this to be true of me. It's Galatians 2.20, the words of Paul, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, that's my verse. I want that to be true of me. I have died. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. That's Paul's way of saying he's living a life devoted to worship. God is at the center of everything he is, everything he does. And how does he, what does that actually mean? How does he live that out? Well, he says, the life I now live as someone who is devoted to God wholeheartedly, the life I now live, I live by, say it again, faith. Faith. What is faith? There's probably lots of great definitions for what faith is. That's an important word. Faith, I think I'm going to say in this context, faith is complete dependence on God to do what I can't do. Faith is complete dependence on God to do what I cannot do. So when Paul said, the life I now live, I live by faith, I think there's actually a couple things he means by that. The first thing certainly he means is that no longer is he trusting in his own works, in his own efforts to be good enough for God to secure like a place in God's good books, to secure his approval, to secure heaven. Because he used to be like that. I mean, he describes how he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He followed every one of God's laws to like the tiniest little iota, trying to be good enough, righteous enough in his own life to be good enough for God. He says, no longer, no longer do I live by my own righteousness, by my own works. Now I live by faith. I don't trust anymore in any of that. Because it doesn't work anyway. You can never be good enough for God. All have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glory. So when he says, I live by faith, the first thing he's saying is, no longer do I trust in my own righteousness, my own goodness, but I have put my trust fully in Jesus, what Jesus has done for me on the cross, how he paid for my sin and how I can be forgiven and reconciled and have the gift of life with God through, just through faith in Jesus. And so that's the first thing he means there, I think, that he lives by faith, not trusting in himself, but by trusting in what Jesus has done for him. And maybe some of you, you've done that. Maybe you prayed a prayer at one point where you said, Jesus, I give my life to you. I'm not trusting in, in, in my own efforts for you anymore. I, what Jesus did for me is enough, is enough. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But you know, I'll have conversations. He's saying more than that, by the way. Because faith is more than that. It isn't less than that, but it's more than that. Sometimes I'll hear people say, oh, no, pastor, I have faith. I have faith. Don't worry. It normally comes with a don't worry because they think I'm worried about them or they're worried that I'm worried about them. And you know what? It's often true. I'm often worried about people, right? And I, I am worried about the condition of their soul. And when they say, don't worry, pastor, I have faith, that makes me even more worried sometimes. Because I'm like, I don't know that you really understand what this is. Because faith is not something that you possess. Faith is something you practice. Okay? 
This is what he's saying here. Faith is not just something you have. Like, don't worry, I've got it somewhere. If you want to see it, I, can go, I know it's on the fridge. I'll go up top, I'll pull it down, I'll show you. I've got faith, it's up there. And when I need it, I go to it. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying the life I now live, when I wake up in the morning and everything I do, I do it by faith. I do it in complete dependence on God to do what I can't do. Paul is saying, in everything I do, I strive to depend on God. Faith is not something you possess. It's something that you practice. I think a a really powerful picture of this is a story in Matthew chapter 14. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to this story. Many of you will be very familiar with this story. It takes place on a sea, the Sea of Galilee. How many of you have actually seen the Sea of Galilee? There's lots of you. That's awesome. You know, I had just decided I was going to go on Pastor Henry's Israel trip in February. I just got the board to like kind of okay some of my education funds to go to that. And the very next day, war in Israel. And that trip's, obviously not that it's about me, but, but that trip's been postponed to November. So I'm hoping to get by the Sea of Galilee. But this is a real place. This happened to real people. And some of you, you can maybe picture this story because you've been there. Um, so as you're turning there, uh, Matthew chapter 14, before we look at that story, because it takes place on a sea, I don't know if you've ever gotten to the end of the Bible and been kind of curious about a statement that you find there, because at the very end of the Bible, God has given John, who's one of the 12 disciples, who's actually in the story we're going to look at, gave, gave John a vision of the end, gave a vision of the new heaven and the new earth, that is, that, that place of eternal dwelling, God with his people, it d- describes as a new heaven and a new earth. When God has completely done away with sin and sickness and all, and all the corruption that sin has brought into the world and He has purified His creation and dwells perfectly with His people forever. Isn't that going to be awesome? We have this picture of that that begins with a very curious statement. It's Revelation 21.1. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and for the, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That's, what we're, that's where we are now. And there was no longer any sea, S-E-A, sea, which a word that meant just a really big body of water, like the Sea of Galilee or the ocean. No longer any sea. It's interesting because you find in, in this picture there's, 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 there's trees and there's rivers, and this is the earth this beautiful earth that God has made, but there's no sea. And you go, why is there no sea? That's kind of a bummer. Some of us, we like to deep sea fish. We like to go to the beach. What does that mean? Well, John knew what that meant, this vision. It didn't mean that, bummer, there's, not, there's just going to be wheat fields and mountains and deserts, but we're losing that whole sea thing. That, that's not what this means because you see in the scriptures, the sea always represented something. The sea always rep- represented the place of danger, of uncertainty, of risk, right, of the unknown. And even right now, like, the sea is a scary place. We're not made for the sea, are we? Which is why when we're on the sea, we, we, we bring a piece of land with us called a boat. Right? And even then, it's kind of scary. So the sea here, when he, when he says that in heaven's not going to be any sea, what he's saying is there's going to there, there's, there's going to be no more sickness 
or sin or danger or uncertainty or unknown. There's not even going to need to be faith. Why? Because there will be no need for faith. When we're with God face to face, faith will have, be, have come sight. I'm a prairie kid, and um, open water scares me. I don't know if it scares you. I'm not, I'm not a water guy. And uh, I, my scariest memory happened on a body of water. It was Little Bow Lake. I was seven years old. It was a beautiful Sunday afternoon. My family was out there in a little rowboat with a little old outboard motor. We were the only boat on the lake. And it was a beautiful day. My whole family's out there. I'm the oldest. I've got some younger siblings, my mom, my dad. And all of a sudden, like can happen in the mountains, a storm comes out of nowhere because you don't see it till it comes over the mountaintop. And then it's kind of too late. So this storm was just upon us. We were not prepared for this. And um, we were in the middle of the lake. My dad tried to get us back to, to the shore. And right away, um, like the high winds, waves, the water's coming into our little rowboat. And the motor died in the middle of the lake. And we only had one paddle. So I made it, as you can tell. I won't tell you the rest of that story or a little bit, some of it a little bit later. But so, um, for me, when I read this story, like I, 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 that comes back to me, that, that feeling of being in that spot, the fear, the uncertainty. And, and the guys, the, the disciples in this story, um, even though they were seasoned fishermen, they, they too would have felt fear in the face of this vicious storm in the middle of the night. But here in, in this story, I think, is a picture of faith for us to learn from. So let me read Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 22. Uh, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 in a miraculous way. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went, and you know that shortly before dawn is the darkest part of the night, right? So this is pitch black. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Jesus actually, literally, that's not figurative, Jesus actually walked on the lake. And come on, if Jesus is the one who created the lake, created the water, Jesus can walk on the water. Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And then Peter does something crazy. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Everyone else is like, hanging on to the mast of the boat. Peter says, if that's you, Lord, tell me to come out on the water. I want to walk on the water too. And Jesus says, come. And Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. A little late for the wind to die down, don't you think? Right? Shouldn't it have died down before when they're all afraid or when Peter's on the water? Right? But this is the thing about faith, right? 
Faith is not waiting for the wind to die down and for the storm to pass to respond to God. You know, there's some people that under the right conditions, when I know everything that's going to work out right, then, then I will. Faith comes before the storm calming. Faith comes in the storm. So there they are in the boat. They climbed into the boat. The wind died down. Those who were there in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. So how would you respond if you were in that situation? Who's calling you? I'd like to know who's calling you. Who feels it's that important to disrupt my sermon? Let that be a lesson to you to turn off your ringers. I love that. I just love making people uncomfortable. It's one of my favorite things to do. So how would you feel? Here you are, you're in the boat, you're in the storm. Jesus is coming, he's walking on the water. And you might say, wow, Jesus, you're awesome. That's incredible. Look how powerful you are. You are God, I'm going to worship you. What does Peter do? He says, I want to know your power in my life. I don't want to just believe your power. I, don't ju- I, I, I want to know your power in my life. So he says, he calls out to, to the Lord, Lord, if you want me to come out, call me. He wasn't just willing to go on the water. He was wanting to. And, and here I see this picture of the faith that I think Paul is talking about when he says, the life I live now, I live by faith. The faith that God is calling each of us to. Faith is the desire to live beyond oneself. To do what you've never done before, to do what you can't do, but you believe God can do. Faith is the willingness and even the eagerness to live beyond one's own limitations. And we all have limitations in strength and resources, money, wisdom, intelligence. Faith is the desire to live beyond our limitations. Peter knew he couldn't walk on the water. Peter knew he could only float on the water if Jesus, by by the power of Jesus. But he wanted to live a God-empowered life, a supernatural life, a life not confined to his own limitations. He wanted to know the power of God. Faith is living in such a way that you need God to come through or else. Faith is living in utter dependence on God. Faith takes risks. It puts you in a place where nothing but the power of God can sustain you. If we never step out of the boat, if we never are willing to live beyond ourself, then we will not experience God. The power of God. And I think many of us, you know, maybe there there are many people living a, a spiritually poor life, wanting to follow Jesus. They want to have faith but not practice faith. Having faith is being in the boat in a place of perceived safety, right? Living, living completely, living and only doing what I know I can do with what I have. 
And some people might say, I don't know that I've ever experienced the power of God in my life. And, and maybe a question to ask if that's something that you feel is, do I live life in the boat? Or do I, am I willing to even wanting to live outside of my own limitations and put myself in places where I, will, I might sink except that God come through? The great master Shifu in the movie Kung Fu Panda 3. Um, weird transition, sorry. Said you'll never be better than what you are if you only do what you can do. You'll never be better than what you are if you only do what you can do. That sounds really inspirational. And um, it's kind of silly in a sense. The world says you can do anything you put your mind to. There's a danger with that, that we take risks for the sake of taking risks or just this, um, just this blind faith, blind optimism that it'll just all work out. You know, some people are, are just risk takers by their nature and some are cautious. And which am I, honey? You know the answer. Are you going to say it? Yeah. Cautious. Right. I know. I'm, I, I, am, I am someone by, by Mary. You, you, you've met people that it's like they have no regard for life or limb. And you're like, give your head a shake. What are you thinking? Do you know what could have happened to you? And then, there, and then, there's, and then there's people like me. I like to live life on the, on the kind of the, the, the cautious side. What, what I want you to know here is if faith isn't just doing something you can't do. Okay? Or doing something just, just because that God hasn't, isn't calling you to do. Just putting God in a spot where he has to catch you. You know, remember Satan? He took Jesus up in the temptation at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew on the temple and said, throw yourself down, Jesus, because don't the scriptures say, right, that, that God will catch you with his angels and your foot will not strike a stone, so just throw yourself down. God can do it. Don't you believe God can do it, Jesus? And what does he say? Scripture also says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Right? Don't just... Don't, don't just step out of the boat just because. Just gratuitous faith. You want to see what God will do. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Like, I don't want you to hear this now and go and start walking on water at Kinsman just because you know God can. Because that's not biblical faith, that's reckless faith. What we see here is biblical faith, okay? Biblical faith is, is faith that responds to two things. It responds to the, to, to the call of Christ and the character of Christ. Peter doesn't just step out. What does he do? He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. I'm only going to do what you tell me to do. And if you tell me to come, I'm going to come. And Jesus says, come. Jesus calls him, and what does Peter do? He came. 
He steps out. Can you imagine what that would have felt like? And you'll never know if the water can hold you or if God can hold you on the water until you're actually standing on the water. In faith, he took a step out in in response, in obedience to the call of Christ. He just simply obeyed his words. That's what faith is. Faith is is simply acting on God's word without conditions. Whether that be God's written word, whether that be a word that you feel like the Holy Spirit like lays on your heart, of course, nothing that's in, in, in contradiction to his written word, but God may speak a specific word into your life, a spe- specific prompting. Faith is simply acting on God's word because he says so. I'll do it, God, because you say so. Faith is obedience without conditions, without knowing how it's going to turn out, how, how, what will happen, how you'll be able to. You remember Abraham, the father of faith, right? God came, and how, and how did this whole story of God and faith of his people began, begin? He called Abraham and he said, I want you to gather your family and I want you to go to a place where I'll show you. Where am I going to go? I'll tell you later. Well, what do I need? I'll provide. He gathered his, and, and, and he left the journey without knowing the destination, without knowing where he was going, how he was going to get there. He acted on faith because God said, go. And Abraham said, yes. Peter sa- Jesus says, come to Peter. And Peter says, if you say so, Lord, I will obey. That's living by faith. It's doing what God calls us to do, even if it seems like it's beyond what you can do. Beyond your resources and limitations What does it look like to live by faith in the world? That looks like a whole bunch of different things. Like I said, I'm a really cautious person by nature, uh, and especially when it comes to money. If you were here last week, you heard that Rusty say that if there's a vital, an idol, a vital that would, if there's an idol that would vie for my heart, it would probably be money. Not because if I had it, you would see me drive around in a Porsche with like golden teeth and a gold chain or something. Not that kind of money. Like, I mean, put it in a bank account, look at it and go, oh, I'm safe. I've got enough. If this happens or the furnace goes or I need to buy a new car or the house, I'm, I'm good because I got that. Okay, that's what vies for my heart. And it's a battle for me to put my trust in my security in God, right? So for me, like, what what does it look like to live by faith? It means being generous even if you don't know how or before you know how you'll take care of other stuff. Being generous with God. I grew up in a house where my parents, um, you know, a, a bit of a meager upbringing, but my parents lived by this principle called the tithe. They gave God a tenth, and they gave more than, but, but always that. And, and apparently I ate a lot of sardines. I don't remember that, but my mom was telling me the other day, you ate a lot of sardines. But, uh, but I remember often, like, God, but my, my parents practicing faith with their money. Giving, even though they didn't know necessarily how they were going to pay that other bill at the end of the month, but trusting God that He would provide. And we as kids saw God come through in amazing ways. When, when my parents lived by faith in this. Man, I, I remember back in Blind River, 
the church I was at before we came here. It was like this little old 100-year-old brick building, and we outgrew it, and to minister to our community, we needed to move, and that was a big decision for this little church in this little kind of declining community. And so we, we felt like God was calling us to buy this furniture store, this old furniture store, and renovate it into a church. And I remember the, the night where we were in the basement of that little old 100-year-old building, uh, having to make a decision about what we were going to do. And it required a lot of faith. Were we going to step out in faith? It's going to require all of us. And we had faith and we thought that's what God was calling us to do so that we made that decision and we purchased that building. And the very first thing that happened was we discovered that the whole roof was compromised and we needed to replace the whole roof and it was going to double our budget. But we were already in it. It was ours. And I remember that first board meeting afterwards when we got that news, we just sat there in stunned silence going, what have we done? And then I remember the next day when a man who knew nothing about this, he was actually the engineer who was engineering the building, a Christian man that lived in a different city. Out of the blue, he just called the chairman of the board and said, hey, you know, I just felt like I need to share this with you. You know, if you ever need some extra funds, I got lots of money. I'm willing to give you as much as you need, no repayment terms, no interest. You just pay it back when you can, if you can. I just want to see God's work be done the very next day. And you know what we did? We fell on our knees and we said, God, you are amazing. God, you know. God, you provide. When we follow you in faith, you come through. But you won't we, we experience the power of God, but to, but to be in a place where you experience the reality of God's power means getting out of the boat. It means putting yourself in a position by faith that's beyond what you can do. Being generous by faith. What else does it mean to, to live by faith? It, it means to, if God calls you, lays on your heart to go share your faith with somebody and you just kind of don't know how you're going to do that, what you would say or how they might respond, but you feel like God has given you an opportunity or he's laid that on your heart, it means trusting God and saying yes to him. Look, look what Jesus said to his, to his disciples. This is earlier in Matthew, Matthew chapter 10. He says, um, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. When will they be given the words to say? When they open their mouth, right? It's like when you actually put yourself in a position where you need God to come through, God will come through. So what does it look like to live by faith? It means to courageously share your faith with those around you. Faith, living by faith means turning around the car when you drive by someone's house and you just feel this like strong prompting that you need to, you need to go and knock on that person's door. You need to make a phone call to check in. And you don't know why and you don't know what's going on and you don't know if they would think that's weird and you don't even know what to say. But you just feel like God is saying, turn around the car or make that phone call. Faith obeys. And if you do that in life, you will see how God is at work revealing himself and his power that we will only experience when we put ourselves in a position where we need God. Because if we never are in a position where we need God, how would we ever see God? 
How would we ever experience the reality of His, of His power? How do we learn to trust Him more? All Peter had to hear was the word come, and in faith he stepped out. So he responded, first of all, to the call of Christ, and he responded to, secondly, to the character of Christ. If I called you out on the water, what would you say? Rusty, do you want me to come out on the water? Yeah. Come. What would you do, Andrew? (laughs) Would you say take a hike? I ain't doing that. I don't know you well enough. He doesn't know what he would say. What gives... What gives Peter, I mean, the urge to even ask the question to invite God to to call him out? And what gives him the courage to step out? It's because he has come to know the person of Jesus. A few chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 8, they were on that same sea in another storm. And Jesus was sleeping in the hull of the ship. And all the disciples were terrified. They thought they were going to drown. And they aroused Jesus from his sleep. And they said, Lord, don't you care if we drowned? And they saw Jesus. I don't know how many days or weeks or months that was earlier than this encounter in Matthew 14. But Peter had witnessed Jesus Christ stand at the helm of the boat and command the wind and the waves. And they obeyed him. He had seen the power and he had seen the care of Jesus. And knowing all of that, having experienced all that in this moment, he knows the character of Christ. And so when Jesus says, come, he can come. He can step out in faith because Peter has learned that Jesus cared and that Jesus could. And those are the two things we need to know to live by faith. To walk in obedience with God's leading. We need to know that Jesus cares and that Jesus can. And Peter had learned that. Jesus cares and Jesus can. Those are the two things you need to know to act in faith. Because you see, back when I was on the boat with my dad and my family in that storm when I was seven years old, I wasn't actually even afraid of the storm. Um, More than the fact that I knew my dad couldn't swim. Like my dad, to this day, he literally can't swim. My dad has failed yellow three times. Yellow is level one. Yellow is the, level, is the one that like the five-year-olds go to, and they learn to float on their back in the star position. If you can do that, you get a yellow badge. My dad failed it three times, not as a five-year-old, as a 35-year-old. And... We, we kids, we were, we were well aware that dad can't swim. And as much as he cares, and as much as he would want to save me, if we, if we get in this water, we're done. Because my father can't. But Jesus cares, and Jesus can. And so Peter was able to trust and, and, and act in faith and, and come out because he knew Jesus. And church, do you know Jesus? 
I mean, if Peter knew the power of Jesus, the care of Jesus, how much more we who have seen the cross and we've seen the resurrection, we have seen Jesus die on the cross out of love for us. He laid down his life because his love for us is limitless. And we see Jesus rise from the dead that even death itself has no hold. He has power over death himself. His power is limitless and his love is limitless. And that's what caused Paul to say in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? For he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with giving us his son, graciously give us all things? How much more we should live by faith in the limitless love and power of our Lord. So the only proper response to that knowledge is the response of Peter. It's faith. It's to step out. And you know what? Nothing worships God more than living by faith. Not singing songs. Not reading your Bible and going to Bible studies. Nothing shows God and the world around us of the superior worth you find in Him him, when you live in complete dependence on Him. When you live in such a way that you need Him. It puts God in a place where He has the opportunity to show His greatness. And God wants to show His greatness to you. And God wants to show His greatness to the world. And God shows His power when His people live by faith. So so I don't want you to misunderstand here. There's no power to faith. You know, it's not like if you have enough faith, you're going to do something. You're going to heal somebody. Um, Gold dust is going to fall from the ceiling. Okay? There's no power in faith. There's power in God. And God is pleased by faith. Isn't that what it says in Hebrews 11? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because some of us feel like, we teach like faith is like some resource. If we had enough of faith, like faith is some sort of force that can accomplish things. Faith is not a force that can accomplish anything. Right? Because that's like thinking, you ever seen those, those like um, Christmas movies where Santa's on the sleigh with his helper? And the sleigh starts to sputter. And Santa goes, what's the problem? It's the sleigh. And they say, look at the belief meter There's not enough Christmas belief in the world. There's not enough belief in Santa. We need more belief to power the sleigh. Okay, you haven't watched the same movies I have. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm getting a lot of blank looks. I got kids, okay? Cut me some slack. Sometimes we think it's like a faith meter Just enough faith. Something happens. Hmm? Some of what the Bible teaches. There's no power in faith. The power is God's. And when God's people live by faith, God is pleased to bless. God is pleased to show His power. God is pleased to come through and show who He is and what He can do. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God blesses faith. So faith isn't what you believe only. It's what you do with what you believe. It's belief in action. So bringing this to a close, just a few questions I want to put before you. We are called to live by faith. There's nothing that shows God's worth 
There's nothing that uh, is a ex- greater expression of worship of God than by obeying God without limitations and without conditions, depending completely on Him to come through. God is wanting us to live outside the boat. So the, the first question I have for you, is God calling you to step out of the boat? Is there something that God is maybe asking you to do, has laid on your heart or some command of his word that feels like scary, like you're on the ocean, it's beyond your ability, you would never know how you could do that. You know, like it's to give up, to give up completely control to God and trust in something outside of yourself, that's a scary thing to do. Is God calling you to step outside of the boat in any way? And, and I just want to say here, you know, living by faith takes many different forms. Sometimes it also, um, th- this came to me, sometimes saying no is living by faith. You know? Sometimes my, sometimes what appears like faith is actually fear. is actually anxiety. When Rusty is afraid that something might not fail or if he doesn't do it, if he doesn't do it, he's got to do it. He's got to do it because what happens if he doesn't do it? And so you're involved in this and you're involved in all of these things and that's striving. It doesn't actually come from faith. That's fear and it's anxiety. And what faith is, is the ability to say, I can't do all of that. I actually have to trust God. I actually have to let God come through. So don't hear me say more, 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 faith, faith. Sometimes faith actually means stopping and trusting. Because faith doesn't come from fear. Faith doesn't come from anxiety. It comes from a complete dependence on God and a belief in His power. Is, there, is God calling you to step out of the boat? And, and maybe you don't know, but maybe you want to pray the prayer that Peter prayed to God, which is, Lord, I want to step out of the boat. Lord, how do you want me? How do you want me to live by faith? Would you show me, God, what that looks like? So that's the first question that I want you to take home with you. I want you to ponder and pray about and maybe discuss as a family. Is there an area where God is calling you to step out and live by faith? Where maybe you've just kind of been living within yourself in the safety of the boat when God is calling you to step out. And and the second thing is this. um, You know, someone who lives by faith lives by prayer. What would be the sign of somebody who is uh, someone who's striving to live by faith? I, I think it would be you, you would see it in their prayer. They would be praying big prayer. They'd be praying the sort of prayers that are impossible prayers. Courageous prayers that only God could do. It wouldn't be just bless Sally and protect me as I drive into the city to pick up groceries. Those, those are fine. But it's like, would, would we even, are we praying the sort of prayers that if God answered them, we would even know? There's a verse. Do I have it up there, Matthew? Yes. We're almost done there, dear. Jesus says, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, come from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. 
Again, he's not talking about, hey, if you have enough faith, you can, you can do anything. What he's saying is, you know what? Don't even look at the size of obstacles, right? Don't be deterred by the size of the mountain because God's bigger than the mountain. Nothing is impossible for God. So have faith in the way you live and in the way that you pray. Nothing is impossible for you because nothing is impossible for God. And it doesn't matter if your faith feels so much smaller than that big mountain. So are you praying mountain-moving prayers? So that's, you can go back to that question there, Rob, and just leave that up there. So that's the second thing. This, this is my challenge for you as individuals, as families, to go away from here. Talk about this. Um, what is an impossible prayer that God would have you pray? A courageous prayer that only God could do. Think about that and begin praying a prayer and, 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 and pray it every day for a month and then maybe more. But that's my challenge to you, to go and to pray an impossible prayer and commit to that in faith over the period of this next month. We are called to be those who worship God by living by faith in complete dependence upon Him. May that be true of this church. May that be true of um, each one of us. Because when we leave here, God may, uh, in response to this, God may put something on your heart. He may put something on your mind. And I just want to begin that conversation right now to go to prayer as the, the worship team and my helpers come up here. Let's just come to God and already just ask Him, God, what would it look like for me to live by faith? Is there any way, God, that you, are, you have been asking me to step out of the boat? Father, we believe, we believe in you. As the words of Hebrews 11 say, without faith it's possible to, ple to please you because whoever would come to you must believe that you exist and that you reward those who seek you. And God, we believe those two things. We believe that you exist and we believe that you reward those who seek you because you are calling us. You're calling us to trust in you because you want us to know the greatness of your power, what it's like to live beyond ourselves with the limitations of our strength and our resources and our wisdom. Lord, we want to live supernatural lives. And uh, you want that for us because you want us to know your power and you want the world around us to know your power, which will be seen when your people live by faith. And so, God, would you just speak to us as a church? Would you speak to everybody here and just show us what would it look like to be like Peter there and to respond to your call and to step out on that water? Or just help us to live by faith. Lord, as we come to this table, we know that that's what this table represents, this table which reminds us that your son died on that cross, his body broken, his blood shed for us so that 
you would do everything necessary for us to be in relationship with you, that we wouldn't have to, in our own attempts, in our own striving, try to be good enough um, to have your life, to be, have your favor. But Lord, that's just something that we would receive by depending on your son. And so we thank you, Lord, that we just get to enjoy the fruits and the joys of that faith, Lord. All that has been won for us through your son, Jesus, and what he has accomplished for us through his death and through his resurrection. In his name we pray, amen.